0: Tere and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 13. Development of cities, towns, and trade in the 14th to 16th centuries. Well, my family and I just got back from Estonia over the holidays, and we had a great time with friends and family. And while my batteries feel more drained than recharged because of jet lag, I'm looking forward to hopping into our timeline right where we left off. And that is with cities in trade during the 14th to 16th centuries. For cities, the most important form of recognition as it relates to other entities was its legal framework, and that they were followed and respected. The legal framework of Estonian cities were modeled after or even copied from practices of other nearby countries. Tallinn, Narva, and Rockvere, since they were administered by Denmark, followed the Lubeck Law on cities. Tartu, Viliandi, Paide, and New Pernu were given the same rights as Riga, which was modeled after Hamburg. Old Pernu was influenced by the Bishop's Law, which was imposed by the Bishop of Sarama Lanama, as was Hapsalu, which was the capital under this system. A ruling group of men called the Magistrate governed the cities. There were different numbers of magistrates depending on what city you lived and the number of magistrates would grow as the city's population grew. Tallinn was the largest and most powerful city authority. During the 15th century it normally consisted of 24 members. These 24 members took turns serving, with half serving in even-numbered years and the other half in odd-numbered years. In the mid-15th century, this system was replaced by a 14-member body that served for consecutive years and were appointed for life. The magistrates were supplemented with four burgermeisters, who served as the magistrates' board of directors. The syndic were selected from educated lawyers and held positions nearly equal to that of the burgermeisters. In small cities, the magistrates typically had less members. However, Tartu was an exception, as it had four burgomeisters, the same number as Tallinn. The reigning princes were represented at the magistrate level by the town bailiff, who didn't really carry much influence. The residence of the reigning princes, which was the castle of either the order or the diocese, not typically belonged to the city. The area around Tompea and the dome hill in Tartu were basically towns in themselves relations between the city and these self-governed areas were typically strained and sometimes hostile the responsibilities of the magistrate included taking care of the city entrances welfare and security the magistrate was also responsible for promoting trade representing the city's interest when dealing with other cities or reigning princes for uh, for maintaining the churches and schools, and for providing for the poor and the ill. The magistrates was also the city's judicial authority. The magistrates passed ordinances dealing with fire hazards, curfews, and so on. It was also the magistrates' job to ensure the city's wealth did not take a hit in its value and prestige. As an example, celebrations were monitored and limitations were set on the amount of food that could be ordered and the number of musicians and entertainers that could be hired for celebrations. The magistrates also competed with one another in terms of luxury and fashion. The women in Tallinn were strictly forbidden to wear the style of clothes that were popular in Tartu. There was also a rule in place that that everyone was to dress as appropriate for their particular status. The citizenry were also active in the city, but typically through their professional trade unions called guilds. In the middle of the 16th century, the number of cities remained the same. The reason for this is that existing cities warded off any potential trading centers, and growing villages could potentially provide an alternative place for trade. At the time of the order ended, there was a total of 14 villages or small towns. In addition to the earlier towns, the new ones that grew up were Helme, Kela, Curasare, Lause, Pirita, Pulsama, Vestalina, and Viru Nigula. The reason these towns didn't grow into cities is that they had a relatively small German population. These small towns did have some of the traits of larger cities. In Cala, a guild was established by the municipal government and was headed by a Burgermeister. The wealthier businesses belonged to the Great Guild. There was also an association of individual merchants and businessmen that formed a guild-like organization called the Brotherhood of the Blackheads. The name of this organization originated from their coat of arms which bears the group's guardian angel, Saint Mauritius. Estonians were not permitted to be members of these guilds, and were only permitted as small merchants. The the importance of Estonian cities as trading posts only pertained to their geographic location as a crossroads between Russia and Europe, however. Tallinn, Tartu, Viljandi, and New Pernu were all members of a new trading association called the Hanseatic League. Particularly Narva and Tartu had their location as a convenient route to Russia to point to as a reason for their growth. Narva was in constant dispute with Tallinn because of this, and therefore was not admitted into the Hanseatic League. Therefore, Tartu played a large role in the activities of the Hanseatic office in Novgorod. While talking about trade, a nice tie-in to this section of the podcast The Estonian Maritime Museum has just opened a new exhibition that I learned about while in Estonia at the end of the year 2019, in which they display the wreck of a cog ship, a typical style trading vessel used in the Hanseatic era. Of Estonian's own resources, grain was the most important trade item. The majority of the grain was sent to Flanders and Holland, and for a short period of time, Russia. Other items that went ab- that were sent abroad for trade were fish, furs, stone for building, seal blubber, linen to a small extent, and a surprising export of gravestones were in high demand. The most popular items to make their way through Estonia to Russia were woolen cloth, canvas, salt, herring, wine, beer, spices, products made of metal and luxury items. Of course, some of these items stayed in Estonia. An example of this would be an extraordinary painted glass beaker that archaeologists found in Tartu that was dated back to the 14th century Venice. Salt was imported from Portugal and France and stored in Estonian facilities that were eventually destined to Russia and Finland. Salt was a lucrative trade item and it is said that Tallinn was built from the salt trade. Russian goods were exported to Europe through Estonia as well. These items included fur, tanned leather, wax, fat, linens, and hemp. Russian traders made their way to Tartu to sell onions, cabbages, and radishes in the town market quite regularly. Contact with the outside world also brought exotic items into Estonia. In 1534, the Bishop of Tartu was gifted a camel from the Duke of Moscow. As a thank you, a turkey that originated from Germany was sent back to Moscow. It is also noted that the citizens of Tallinn once admired a lion that was on its way to Moscow. This must have been exciting as the only time any of them had seen a lion was a representation on Tallinn's coat of arms. In addition to the primary land routes, a river route connected the Baltic Sea via the Pernu Cove to Tartu, Viljandi, and Lake Pepsi. Domestic trade increased. Estonian Estonian participation of trade was primarily seen as a market and at market and and on church holidays in small towns and villages. The peasants were permitted to sell the crops they had grown at marketplaces in the cities. Generally, in medieval cities, one could find a craftsman that could provide all life's necessities. It had been written down that Tallinn had 73 various professions, but only the strongest and most important professions united to form guilds. By the mid-16th century, Tallinn had nearly 20 guilds. And they followed rules and regulations set out in the guild's charter, and approved by the guild's magistrate. In Tallinn, cabinet makers, woodcarvers, glasssmiths, and painters all joined in one guild to increase their influence. For those not influential enough to join a guild, in Tallinn they were allowed to join a union. Some of these unions were for boatmen, coachmen, beer servers, and others. The majority of these of the people in these unions were Estonians. Estonians did also belong to some of the prominent guilds as well. Many guild charters, however, only allowed German members. There were two small guilds for craftsmen, the Canute, spelled C-A-N-U-T-E, and the Olaviste guilds. The Canute guild was primarily made up of Germans, while the Olaviste was mainly made up of Estonians. The craftsmen of Tampia were united in their separate guild up on the hill, and it was called the Dome Guild. And all of these guilds were headed up by elected guild elders. Every guild had its own customs. These mainly revolved around the process of acquiring the status of a master craftsman. It was not always a set number of years that it took a journeyman to become a master. Often it was circumstantial, that a spot for a master freed up and needed, and needed filled. When the possession became available, the candidate would need to meet several requirements, that he had come from an honest background, he had completed the required years of as a journeyman, and served as an apprentice in another city, and finally the completion of a masterpiece. Upon meeting these requirements, the journeyman was expected to host festivities for his fellow guild members. They would also need to become a citizen of the city, and we would need to get married. Often, these new members' wives were chosen from the families of the fellow guild members. Often, either a child of a master or a widow. Masters normally kept up to two journeymen under him at a time. The apprentice status was something that was very rare in Estonian cities until the 16th century. It was very important for the livelihood of these craftsmen that the local markets not get flooded with imported handicrafts. Since Estonia was on a popular trade route, this was always a concern. In the early 16th century, the Tallinn's Tailors Guild was able to persuade the magistrate to pass a statute that limited the sale of imported clothing to only pants made from local materials. The guilds also competed fiercely with others that worked in their same field but did not have the required master's certification. Tallinn's shoemakers even had the authority to have these competitors arrested. Both Tallinn and Tartu minted their own coins, and the increased political activity of the guilds was influenced by the desire to control who the coins were going to. In medieval cities, its wealth and prestige was literally evident in its appearance. Larger cities built their city center in an area that was surrounded by high stone walls, and the walls were surrounded by a moat. Of course, Tallinn had the most impressive wall of all Estonian cities. Its wall stood at an average height of 11 meters and took a total length of 2.35 kilometers to make its encirclement of Tallinn. The wall was further fortified with 46 wall and gate towers. At some places along the, along the circle, the wall was further secured by a second wall, so that if the first wall was scaled, the attackers would be in a no-man zone in which they would be pelted with arrows and other projectiles. The Tartu City wall was a bit smaller with only 18 towers. Narva and Viliandi were also heavily fortified and stood out among all other impressive fortresses that belonged to the order. The fortress in Hopsalu, which was a relatively small city, was still 1.2 kilometers long. As far as the total area these cities encompassed, Tallinn was still the largest, occupying 35 hectares or 87 acres. Tartu was 27 hectares or 68 acres. And Riga, which was the most important city in Old Livonia, was the same size as Tartu, with 27 acres, or 27 hectares, or 68 acres. It was not easy to expand the walls, so when the population increased, poor citizens need to move outside the fortified center. In the early days of these cities, the building were, buildings were mostly made from wood, but since wood was a fire hazard especially in a large city, some fires broke out and buildings started to be constructed mostly out of stone starting in the 15th century in Tallinn and Tartu. Narva and Viliandi did not reach this stage of development until the 16th century. If it sounds like there was a lot of building going on, that's because there was almost continuous building going on. Since the size of the cities were defined and didn't expand, The city streets were were generally narrow, and so were the plots of land on which the houses were built. Even for the wealthy in the cities, space was at a premium, and they were forced to build houses with narrow facades and high-pointed gables. Any outbuildings that were built, such as a shed or a stable, would face the courtyard. The homes of craftsmen were normally more modest in nature. Tallinn started to develop its streets as early as the mid-14th century. Town Hall Square, or Rykoplatz, was covered with 10,100 cobblestones made from limestone in 1370. The market square was lined with small shops and was the center of city activity. The town hall was the building with the highest social importance. It was established on one side of the square and was completed in 1404, and is one of the most beautiful Gothic-style buildings in in the Nordic countries. Tallinn's town pharmacy was opened in 1422 and is still operating today. There really wasn't much of a sanitization system set up in Tallinn, so it was not uncommon to have epidemics of plague break out. Some of the town's citizenry would also get leprosy, and these sick were isolated in hospitals, especially dedicated to these patients. These hospitals were built outside the city and were called almshouses. The old town of Tallinn, with its architecture and monuments today, still reflects the medieval city that was one of the most beautiful cities of northern Europe. In terms of size and beauty, Tartu competed with Tallinn as a beauty to withhold and competed with Tallinn for the same title of being the most beautiful city in Old Livonia. In 1414, a renowned traveler named Gilbert de Lennoy said that Tartu was one of the most beautiful cities he had seen in his 51 years of travel through Europe and the Far East. The population of Tallinn reached between seven to 8,000 in the 15th century. In Tartu, the population was between five and 6,000. During the days of the order, the population of Viljandi was around 1,000 inhabitants. Narva's population was a bit lower than that of Viljandi, and the rest of Estonia's towns and villages were smaller yet. City residents accounted for roughly 8% of the total population of Estonia. In the cities, the Germans played the greatest role and had the most influence. When including laborers and outlying districts, Estonians held the largest majority of the population in all Estonian cities. There was a relatively large service sector in Tallinn, which included a noteworthy amount of Finns and Swedes, and in Narva and Tartu, a significant amount of Russian res- Russians resided in these cities due to their geographic location. None of the cities in Estonia would have developed and maintained if it were not for the local population. The city magistrates verified these observations by structuring the city law to help legitimize the peasants that fled from their manor estates. In Tallinn, if a peasant was in the city for one year and one day, the city would defend the peasants' freedom. With bouts of the plague popping up every now and then, these sort of steps were needed to maintain the working population in the city. In 1535, the magistrate of Tallinn Ruled to have a well known estate, estate owner, Johan von Uxkult of Risipere, executed for torturing a peasant who had fled from his service, who had been in Tallinn for over a year. The nobleman was brought before the court at the request of the dead person's brother, a mere street cleaner in Tallinn. This story has been immortalized in a swinging Estonian film from 1972 called Verekivi, or Bloodstone which I recommend as long as you are wearing your dancing shoes and sporting a good sense of humor as the weird disco type music provides an odd backdrop to medieval Tallinn. And that is where we will leave it for this episode. When you listen next, we will tackle a huge development in Estonia and the rest of Europe, the Reformation and what it meant for those living through it and how it changed Estonian society. Until next time, not going